Real educators, real students, real struggle. We bring you stories from schools and classrooms that reveal the true struggles faced in education. All right, welcome to another episode of Struggle for Change podcast, where we go over topics related to the struggles that we face in education from different perspectives. I'm here with um, Gully Lavage, full name Gulliver, and he he's a uh, awesome. He's our director of diversity, equity, and inclusion at Hillbrook School, where we both work. He started last fall. Grew up in a well, was born in Argentina and grew up in a Latinx family. Has a really interesting background. And I'm excited to, to talk to you, Gully, today about the work that you've done at Hillbrook and uh, potentially how you could uh, help other administrators and school leaders in a similar position or just on, a, on an, an administrative team to kind of make the change that we, we all need to see um, in education around like social justice and DEI work. I'm excited to talk to you today. Yeah, Emily, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Well, let's get started by just uh, letting us know how you came to be involved with uh, DEI work in general, and then maybe specifically how you got involved with schools and what brought you to Hillbrook School. Yeah, so I, for me, I think you know social justice has always been sort of a part of the my family. Um, you, you know, going back as as far as you know me being a little kid and. and Growing up in Argentina, when we were at a time in the '70s when there was a there was a you know a military dictatorship, um, and and a lot of the people were, were were fighting for change, you know, to have to have democracy, to have um, a voice, and and so early on, I heard conversations as a kid from my parents, um, you know, and I experienced things, you know, in the community and. You know, I had, um, you know, an uncle, for example, who, who disappeared for three months because he was, um, you know, standing up and voicing, you know, his opposition to, to the, the dictatorship and, you know, advocating for, for democracy and so forth. And he ended up, um, you know, disappearing. And we actually, you know, and I was, you know, maybe five or six years old at the time. And we had, um, you know, even... Amnesty International, you know, like kind of the word out there, and luckily he he reappeared. So there were some real, you know, and 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 of course, and then my dad felt like we needed to to, to leave Argentina at that time. Um, my godfather, who was a famous, who is a famous musician in Argentina, and advocated for for you know change, would would sing about it through his songs. Um, and, you know, he became a really well-known songwriter in the 70s, um, kind of was known as the Bob Dylan of South America. And, you know, he, he had to leave the country also and lived with, lived with us in, in Ann Arbor, Michigan for a while. Um, but, yeah, this was, it was, for me, really real in, in my seeing it happen to my family. Um, and so the whole notion of, like of social justice and fighting against, um, you know, unjust actions and, and it was a real thing that I, that I experienced. So from early on, I kind of always had a, a sense of like, what's, what is right and what's wrong based on just basic sort of human instinct of what, 
of, of, of humans being allowed to be who they want to be and, um, and express what they want to express, um, and not be stifled and not be, you know, put down. And so that was, that was always something that I carried into, you know, throughout my childhood years growing up in Ann Arbor, Michigan and, and living in Argentina sometimes and going back and forth. Um, and so in Ann Arbor, you know, it was easy to get involved with also social justice movements as a community that, that very much was in tune and cared about um, things that were happening, uh, not only locally, but, but globally. So um, I sort of took that to to my, uh, you know, my calling of wanting to be an educator of, you know, who fought for, 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 for justice within that system. And for me, that started at a, you know, an alternative high school, um, helping and supporting, you know, the disenfranchised, the kids who were, were left, who were kind of kicked out of their public schools or, you know, told to go the, to an alternative school because there was really no place for them anymore. They had, you know, um, quote unquote, given up on them. So I started my career teaching in a school. Um, and many of the kids were first generation kids. Many of them were students of color. Um, you know, many of them were, were coming from, so, you know, uh, disadvantaged socioeconomic background. Um, and so, uh, so for me, it became, you know, really important to sort of stand up for the issues that those families felt like they didn't have a voice in, that the kids felt like, you know, they were in a system that didn't work for them, that had given up on them before they even graduated high school. Um, and so that was, you know, in the educational world, sort of my first introduction. And then, um, and then you know, taking that beyond. Um, so I stayed in public schools for about seven, eight years, both in alternative school and in a regular public school, sort of fighting for, for change um, in the way we saw students and the way teachers thought about teaching, you know, how could we be more inclusive and teach everybody um, and, and think through a different lens, you know, before we called it DEI work, right? Before it was, it was more like multicultural education. Um, and then from there, I had an opportunity to bring, you know, these thoughts and ideas to the independent school world, which I thought was an interesting sort of challenge. You know, can we, in the institutions that have, you know, that were born, you know, out of privilege and that were, that were there for, for always the one to 3%, um, and typically always left out, you know, the, the people who are considered marginalized in our society. Um, you know, could we go, could I go there and, and, and do something to, to make that experience, uh, you know, to open that experience up for everybody and, and make it equitable and also teach um, about the privilege and bias that exists um, in a way that would get the populations that go to those schools to want to go out and create change themselves, um, to embrace their privilege and embrace the fact that we all have bias and find a way to, to use that for good um, and use that for change. Um, and so I think those were the things that, you know, led me 
to where I am today and, and sort of in the excitement of what's happened um, out of real tragedy in the last few weeks, which is that, you know, I am seeing a lot of people starting to engage in the conversation and be interested who maybe before would have dismissed it or would have thought, why do we, the way to solve this problem is to not address it, to not talk about it, that we talk about it too much. And that's the problem. That's the reason we have issues, but actually starting to understand that engaging in the narrative and being a part of it and acknowledging and, and embracing what we have, you know, what people have is in terms of privilege and things is the right way to, you know, is the right way to go. And so that's kind of, um, yeah, I mean, I'm sort of excited about, about that and, 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 and the path that I've taken, um, to get here has been an interesting one. And now I'm, I'm seeing a lot of potential, um, here at working at Hillbrook and, and, uh, and being in the Bay area. That's so beautiful. You know, the, the, the passion and the, the perspective that you've had through many parts of your life and how it's kind of grown into a, this really deep awareness of not only those that were underprivileged and maybe didn't have the experiences and the opportunities that, that a lot of other people have had, but, uh, and, th- and then looking at the other end, how can we educate and empower those that have had a lot of these opportunities to see wider, you know, and have a deeper awareness and empathy you know, you're kind of like lighting the like a good fire at both ends. You, you've uh, kind of empowered uh, those that 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 really needed um, an education just to begin with, and then and then you're lighting the fire of those that might have a little bit more resources to take action. And uh, that's really beautiful work. So, Gully, from from your vantage point and your experience, uh, what what do you think is keeping other schools, whether it's public or independent or private or other institutions um, in, in sort of this struggle with DEI work. Like uh, there are schools that are doing a lot. What, are, what do you think is keeping other schools from, from making a little bit more progress in that work? Dollar question, right? Um, <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's a combination of things and some things are obvious to institutions. And I think some things aren't. Um, I think the obvious things are, you know, creating um, time and space for this, this work and this conversation. I think those, those are things that you, you can really control um, easily by, by just making time. I mean, not that they're easy decisions to make to say, Hey, we're going to put more money into this or we're going to, put more time into this. Um, I think those are, are tough decisions and I applaud those decisions when institutions make those. But I I think that's the obvious one that that seems just like it takes, you know, uh, the effort of the institution to say, this is what we we're we're going to be intentional and we commit to creating more time and creating more space, um, for this conversation, um, you know, and for action, um, and so I think that piece is, is, is something that I, uh, that I think a lot of institutions are doing and, uh, and that's great. And, and I don't think you can ever give enough time or space for this conversation. Um, and so 
the the harder part is 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 looking at the layers that we've created that are unintentional. They're not intentional, but they're very unintentional, and uh, and how they've played you know played into and perpetuated sort of systemic um, racism and systemic um, uh, privilege, and and. And that piece is, is, is hard because it requires people to do more than just sort of output to the obvious, you know, output to the conversation, output to trying to do some action. It requires like, like going within yourself. It requires identity search. It requires being okay with being wrong, being okay with making a mistake being okay with saying the wrong thing or what we perceive to be the wrong thing. Um, and, and being vulnerable, you know, being vulnerable to, to the conversation, being vulnerable to the experience, um, not being the smartest person in the room always, or feeling like you're the smartest person, not being the one that has to say something that everybody agrees with, you know, not being the one who, um, who's able to, uh, create, accord amongst discord you know like the things that we're sort of trained that makes us think that we are doing our job you know are the the very things that keep us from going deeper and so i think number one if you can create the time and space two it's what you do with that time and space um and so you can go deep or you can go shallow and i think you know we see both in the as examples in the world. But if we really want to affect change and be there, we, we have to, we have to go deep. And that puts us in a really uncomfortable spot as, as bosses, as employees, as, as teams, um, as managers. And so, um, I think that's the part that's, that requires sort of a lot of education, a lot of, you know, whether it's it's reading books like you know Blind Spot and 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 um, and uh, you know looking at uh, um, articles that are out there and um, you know of course you know everyone's been talking about white fragility um, lately and as as you know that's something we had senior leadership here at Hillbrook read um, extensively in the fall so I, it really is is not just about doing one thing but it's a continuation of doing the hard stuff and there's no end point it's a journey and it just really doesn't end and so having that perspective and diving into it and making it intentional and and really trying to remove the personal feelings and the offense the feeling the feelings of being offended and the feelings of having to be right and all those things that are very common in the human ego and part of our experience, you know, it takes, it, it, it takes that depth and, and I think we can do it. I just think we have to really commit and we have to be consistent and we can't expect there to be a specific measurable outcome in the same way that we look at other things. Great. Yeah. I mean, I personally, I have done things to, to kind of show visually that like, Oh, I'm, I'm supporting this movement or this cause. And, and, and haven't necessarily always taken that action that's actually needed in the world. Like who, you know, who am I actually 
giving this, this food or this, this uh, money to, or like, how am I giving my time? And one of my personal goals, you know, in like through the educator lens and also just like personally, I, I want to, uh, you know, act on the, this like spark that I've personally felt like very strongly lately of, of, you know, helping others find their voice and, and helping others stories be heard and helping others feel that they, you know, it's okay to step out of that comfort zone, there's safety and comfort. And that's exactly um, kind of counterintuitive to what's really needing to change out there. And so um, I'm totally, uh, uh, I admire your, you know, insights and, and what you've, the work that you've done and sparked at our school um, has been pretty amazing. You know, we've done uh, what started with uh, what were called seed groups, which was a another institution uh, with a curriculum that we used at our school. And then you kind of transform that into protocol groups with faculty and affinity groups. And that there's just all kinds of um, great kind of work that you've done to help us be in a position to, to educate and, and then take action um, as we go. So what advice would you give in the work that you've done to other school administrators in a similar role um, in creating a more of a long lasting DEI like curriculum or framework? You have to look at it from a cultural, with a cultural lens, from a cultural standpoint of, you know, how can we create the culture to have these, these deep, meaningful, you know, conversations and action. And I think you, you just mentioned it, you know, I think it's to create the culture, you need to, you need to instill it in the community in the form of affinity groups, you know, in the form of, uh, um, protocol groups, right. Where you're, you're getting groups of people together to have these intentional conversations, to have these experiences. And it, it takes time, you know, you need to, you need to sow the seeds of, of that within the institution and then allow there, allow for there to be, um, you know, time, uh, for, for that to sink in. And, and, and within that time, you're not looking for, for anything specific other than you think very differently about the goal. The goal is to create that space for the culture to sprout. And, and, and then you take temperature gauges or measurements of that culture as you go, you know, through surveys, through one-on-one -on -one conversations, um, through reflection, um, and, and so I think it, it, I would say, you know, like create the, the, the spaces on campus during the work day. And I think that's important. I think a lot of times with this work, we're like, oh no, no, let's find time outside of the work day or let's find time, you know, over the summer, you know, like in, for example, in educational institutions, um, you know, or at a, at a quick one day retreat, you know, and I think, no, this has to be something that's, that's, that's just always happening and continuous, um, protocol groups, affinity groups, uh, allyship groups, um, anti-racist conversations, um, open, you know, public slash employee forums, um, you know, where they, where, where everyone's voice is heard. And I think listening. So a big piece of this is not not feeling like there's a need to explain, not feeling like there's a need to, to show always allyship, but just to 
to just be quiet, frankly, and listen. Um, I think one thing we don't realize is how throughout history people of color have just had to sit and listen and not be able to respond and not have a voice and not be able to justify or not be able to feel like their actions or their words were taken um, of value. And so I think it's time for us as a community, as a, as a white culture, um, to really listen, to sit back and listen and not react and not react out of fear or out of like need for allyship or need for, for, for affinity. Um, you know, but just, just, just to be there and really hear, you know, what, what hundreds of years of, of systemic racism and oppression, um, can do to generations of people. We need to do the work, you know, as a white community to, to kind of help these stories really come to fruition and, and be, be the listeners. Yeah. And, um, and be that change. Totally. Are there any resources you know about like for a school that might be just getting started with this kind of framework or maybe one thing that you found useful for gathering, you know, research or anything along those lines. That was a great time. Like if, if most, uh, you know, people at institutions at schools or, or are, are like me, there's resources coming from everywhere right now, more than ever before. Right. Like I am, my inbox is flooded with different organizations putting out resources. Um, yeah. So there's, I mean, I think, People, people uh, identify with resources in different ways. Like people, some people love to read, you know. Some people love to to watch movies or documentaries. Some people love to hear podcasts. Some people love to go to social media and see what's going on and, and hear what people are saying. Um, and 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 right now, there's just a, a, sort of an incredible list of resources that were that is kind of living document of happening in the moment. And so there's so many good things that are popping up every single day, you know, so there's some things that I know from years of, of, of doing this work, but there's a lot of really good things that are just starting, that are just coming out now. Um, and so I would say like, just open your eyes to the things that are coming in around you and, and, and utilize those. Um, for something that's that's helpful to really look deeply at the conversation from from a personal lens and, and sort of understand where your blind spots or, or people like when I say your like people's general blind spots are um, you know is, is is looking at a book that really names it and talks about it and you know I mentioned them earlier but um, you know blind spot and white fragility are two two great books that talk about how we have biases, pure and simple. We always will. We we're humans. And, um, and, and it's, it's being able to be aware of how it expresses itself in very subtle ways, subtle ways that we would never think mean that we are acting in, in a racist way when in fact we are. Um, and so those are good, but, I would to, to, to help that part of having the conversation, but I do think there's so many great things out there that, 
are just out there now. And, and, you know, Emily, I'm happy to attach sort of a list that we've been compiling of different things, um, you know, to this podcast to, for, for people to peruse that have different social media outlets, different films, different documentaries, different articles and books. I will for sure include your attachment on the podcast page for those that are either just getting started with um, reading and, and, and reflecting and, and get just getting more of an understanding or even those that have been doing a lot of this work, but maybe just need a, a refresher or just some new updated insight into everything that's happening around us. Some really important um, resources out there. And I'm really appreciate this conversation. You know, um, we, we're going to be constantly doing our work and uh, thank you for taking the time and you're ha- having your insights and knowledge and expertise um, and to help sort of break through this, this struggle that, that educational institutions are, are facing. So thank you, Gully. Hey, thank you so much, Emily. It's been a pleasure. 